other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Well, uh, two days ago was January 15th. That is the birthday of Martin Luther King Jr. And he would have been 95 had he had lived. Obviously, he didn't live because he was killed in uh, April of 1968. The official story was that um, he was killed by James Earl Ray. Well, almost right away, there were those who doubted the official story of James Earl Ray being the lone assassin of Martin Luther King Jr. In 1977, James Earl Ray himself did an interview with the Washington Post, essentially saying that he was framed by someone named Raul. Listen to this. So you heard uh, you heard the news on, on the radio? Is yes. that the way you heard yeah. it? So you were driving, you left that, that gas station at 2nd and Linden, what, about 6 or... I don't have any way of knowing, I think it's around that time, but mm-hmm. I don't even know if it's Linden. I know where the approximate area it is. And mm-hmm. I've seen the map on the Inquirer. And, uh, mm-hmm. and you were going back to uh, to pick up this man that you say is Raul? Is no, I just waiting the car back. So you heard all this confusion. Had turned and flipped on the radio. They said Dr. King's been shot. Uh, at that, Did you think you were set up at that point? Uh, no, I was headed towards... Toward New Orleans, when I had the radio, and I used to keep the radio, and I think uh, I didn't have too strong feelings about the, the shooting. Uh, when when you met Raul, you did you you didn't know any other name for him. That's the name that he said was his, and that that's all you ever knew. Yeah, I guess not. Mm-hmm. And you met him where? Canada. Up in Canada, and uh, and you just met in a saloon, or. It was a saloon in, in a waterfront area of uh, Montreal. Mm-hmm. You never became good friends then? Uh, no, I wasn't good friends. Mm-hmm. Just business. Uh, mm-hmm. These were all aliases, uh, I assume. Uh, uh, you don't think Raoul was a real name at all then? Huh? No, I've got some freedom of information papers in there saying there's Raoul Santiago or something. New Orleans is supposed to be a him, but uh, I don't have the FBI, that's material from the FBI files, but I don't have no, uh, nothing to substantiate that. So you think their mind was made up when they got you? Well, it had to be made up. Uh, I, they couldn't, uh, uh, well, I don't know what, if there's any penalty for uh, extraditing someone fraudulently or not, but I think, uh, I can see their legal point where they've got to stick with their story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that was 1977. 1993, Lloyd Jowers appeared on ABC News. He was a restaurateur and the owner of Jim's Grill, a restaurant in Memphis, Tennessee. And he claimed that he was paid $100,000 by a Memphis mobster to help organize the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. Even Jesse Jackson, who was with Martin Luther King Jr., when King was assassinated and subsequently wore his blood-stained shirt, meaning King's blood on Jackson's shirt, for days following King's assassination, he has said that he has never believed the official story that James Earl Ray acted alone. Here was uh, Jesse Jackson on a a program called In Depth with Graham Bensinger, talking about this 
James Earl Ray, who was convicted of killing Dr. King. Why have you said before you believe he didn't act alone? He, he didn't have the money. The motive of the organization skills to do it. Uh, a lone killer getting out of town at 6 o'clock. Getting into Mississippi and all that. End up in London. He couldn't have done that by himself. What do you think happened? government was very involved. You think so? To what extent do you think J. Edgar Hoover played a role in... I have no idea. That, that, that gets in too much detail, man, except I know this guy couldn't do it by himself. The government was very involved. Now, it's not just Jesse Jackson saying that. In 1999, a jury decided that there was a conspiracy perpetuated by Jowers and that other conspirators, including various government agencies, murdered King and framed James Earl Ray as a patsy. Someone who has a lot of experience analyzing assassinations is uh, Donald Jeffries. He's an assassination researcher and an author of several books, including Hidden History, an expose of modern crimes, conspiracies, and cover-ups in American politics. Donald, it's been a long time since I had you on the radio. It's nice to have you back. Good to talk to you again, Frank. Thanks for having me on. Sure thing. Uh, Donald, so you heard kind of my introduction and the context. Give us your view. What does your research suggest about what happened to Martin Luther King and who was responsible for his assassination? Well, I think, you know, if it's been honestly investigated, and these things are never honestly investigated, obviously. That's why I I never run out of things to write about. But, um, you know, the FBI uh, sent King a letter in the uh, mid-1960s, I forget how many years it was before uh, they kill- he was killed, but uh, which basically is, you know, it was, it was made public knowledge uh, later, and it's an, a very veiled threat to just, you know, basically said, there's only one thing left for you to do, King. And they basically said, you know, you need to kill yourself. And was, that's an astonishing thing, you know, for the FBI to do. Uh, we know there was so much stuff going on at the time. King had just uh, gone beyond the Civil Rights Movement. He was ready to lead the Poor People's March on Washington, D.C., which would have been a whole different thing if he had lived. Uh, it went on without him, and it wasn't the same at all. But we know just that with the, the uh, what I've said in research, we know, for instance, that iconic photo of uh, uh, a man uh, cradling King's head uh, in his hands on the uh, balcony of the Lorraine Motel was uh, we we know now yeah, I think he's still alive he was an undercover CIA agent we know that Martin Luther King's chauffeur was an undercover government agent and in fact the guy who owned the Lorraine Motel was an undercover government agent so and you mentioned Jesse Jackson and the bloodstained shirt uh, you know the rest of the civil rights movement was incensed at Jesse Jackson because that was that was a, a lie that he told to be fabricated he he not he wanted to make himself bigger and wanted to take over. The movement and Ralph Abernathy was King's second account was especially incensed by that. And Abernathy was one of the first ones to uh, to raise doubts about uh, James Earl Ray's guilt. I mean, Ray's there, there was never anything to tie him to the assassination, uh, other than you had one witness who was uh, a guy named Charlie Stevens, who was uh, a resident at the boarding house where uh, Ray was staying across the across from the Lorraine Motel, and supposedly fired the shot from uh, the uh, bathroom there. And supposedly Charlie Stevens, the government, used him to say that he saw Ray going towards the bathroom. And uh, his his wife, Grace Stevens, uh, you know, told everyone, including Mark Lane, who was already investigating that, like he did the JFK assassination, 
that uh, no, he was he was dead drunk like he always was. He couldn't have seen anybody or recognize anyone. And the, what happened is they retaliated against her by putting her in a mental institution where she spent several years. So that, they play for keeps. And uh, we mentioned Raul. Because the crime was never investigated, we don't really know who Raul was or what that was. And uh, Ray, much as Sirhan Sirhan, that's a really bad representation early on. The same thing happened to, uh, to James Earl Ray. And he, he mistakenly... Uh, cop to a plea early on because he basically was told he was going to be you know, put to death otherwise, and then he instantly realized his mistake, and then from that moment on, he always said, you know, I didn't do it, and came up with the Raul thing. And interestingly, unlike the Kennedy family, which was late coming to the party in RFK Jr., uh, the King family was, was on board right from the beginning and doubting it. Uh, you had uh, Dexter King especially went to prison and visited James R. Ray and mm-hmm. Advocated for a new trial, as did Coretta Scott King. At age, you know, they were per- real profiles encouraged. At, at an advanced age, Coretta Scott King traveled across state lines to testify for James O'Reilly to get a new trial, and so and so did Dexter King. So uh, there's, you know, there's there again, there's 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 nothing there. There's a lot of dubious things. You mentioned the Jowers trial, where the jury found them guilty, and that to almost no notice in the media. You think that would right. be a, a big story? And it's something that's been almost ignored by history. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and that's what happens in all these cases. But and it's ironic because Martin Luther King, in many ways, he's uh, he's an I- iconic figure who um, you know you get, you get in trouble if you criticize him. If you talk about something, you know, that maybe he plagiarized something in college or whatever, or maybe he had affairs with women, uh, then you're you're canceled if you do that. But they've never wanted to get at the truth of his death. And uh, it's you know it's nice to see Jesse Jackson say that now. But you know when they and I, I remember, you know, Mark Lane was uh, kind of my mentor. I, when I was a teenage volunteer. That's where I got started in this. I volunteered and headed up a chapter of his uh, group, the Citizens Committee of Inquiry, in the mid-1970s. And we were trying to lobby Congress to reopen the, all the assassinations of the 60s. And they ended up, the House Select Committee of Assassinations did investigate JFK and MLK, not RFK. And uh, I remember Mark Lane telling the story. Walter Fonroy, who was the, the D.C. delegate to Congress at that time, uh, that he he basically was almost in tears with with Mark because Mark, Mark Lane was saying you know how can you know, you know that the that you know that James Earl Ray didn't do this to Martin and uh, you know Fauntroy was just tortured he could tell you know this is something he had to go along with this story he couldn't tell the truth and uh, this is you know it, it's it's this is what we find in all of these uh, events but certainly uh, the Martin Luther King assassination is is. Very obvious, and unfortunately, James Earl Ray died. You know, that's what there's still hope, maybe, for Sirhan Sirhan. He's the only one of those assassins, alleged assassins that's still alive. Uh, but, you know, James Earl Ray, you know, pro- professed his innocence for many years. And unfortunately, uh, he never really got to uh, to uh, be vindicated. And again, despite King, uh, King's family, uh, you know, being all in favor of, of getting a new trial and, in fact, believing that he didn't. Now, King. when you say um, these things are never properly investigated, I guess meaning assassinations, why is that? I mean, we have seen um, various administrations in Washington, Republican, Democrat, from very different walks of life, very different types of people in roles like head of the FBI or attorney general. Wouldn't there be someone that would welcome 
the opportunity to uh, blame their predecessor and say, you see, I, we had nothing to do with this, but we want the credit for solving this once and for all. I mean, Donald Trump comes, for instance, uh, to mind as someone that would love to say, you know, none of these other presidents told you the truth about XYZ assassination. Well, we did an exhaustive investigation. Here's the truth. Why, in your view, are these assassinations never properly investigated? Well, I think that's what leads so many people down the rabbit holes, and that's why you have such an explosive growth of the uh, conspiracy world and the alternative media, because these things are never, and the more you dig and scratch the surface of these things, you do go down to the bottom of the rabbit hole. Donald Trump's a perfect example. You know, when my first nonfiction book, Hidden History, was published, Roger Stone contacted me, uh, and he loved the book, and he ended up writing the the foreword to the paperback edition. But um, he was telling me Donald Trump was just entering politics, and he was saying, you know, you're going to love this guy. I've known him for 30 years, and he knows about all the conspiracies. I thought, well, okay. And he did allude to those things, but once he got into office, again, he he danced around it. And, and he would not, you know, he, he would just kind of nibble around the edges. And, uh, I, you know, for instance, the JFK files, you know, he was talking about, I'm right. going to release these, and, and then he ended up not releasing them. Uh, and so, you know, this, this is, I, I don't know if they hold a gun to these guys' heads or if they uh, they uh, make them you know, offers they can't refuse or they just, you know, I, I have no idea. But it certainly looks that way because you're right. I mean, and it's so, you just look at any, certainly any of the assassinations of the 60s, it doesn't take very long to, to study the evidence in the JFK assassination, MLK or RFK, to realize, wow, whatever happened, the official story is impossible. But and, and just it doesn't take much research to do that. But whatever happens is that no matter how many books are written about it, um, films like Oliver Stone's JFK and so forth, uh, and the fact that a majority of the public has always uh, you know disbelieved these these official versions of the assassinations, anyhow, that's what officially happens. It's not like you know when Epstein. I, I don't think anybody thinks Jeffrey Epstein killed himself. Remember, Epstein didn't kill himself. Probably, I would say ninety percent of the public you know, didn't think that he did, and yet, you know, what was the official, uh, you know, the, the conclusion? So that's what happens, and that's why uh, the, the so-called conspiracy theories uh, continue to flourish because the official stories that were told leave so much to be desired, leave so many questions answered that it's impossible not to speculate and to doubt. And so, you know, they, they try to demonize people like us that uh, write about these things. But I, I, I tell people, I, I'm a conspiracy analyst. Mm-hmm. These, there, and, you know, I, I have no theory. I tell people all the time, read my work, and if you can tell me what my theory is, let me know. Well, it, let's um, talk, just go back to the Martin Luther King situation for just a second. And if people are just tuning in, we're talking with Donald Jeffries. Uh, you could check out his uh, website, Donald Jeffries. Dot media. There's a, a ton of interesting stuff on there, not just related to the Martin Luther King assassination, but a lot of other instances throughout uh, throughout American history. What specific evidence do you find the most compelling in support of the idea that there was a conspiracy to kill Martin Luther King? If people are going to get one key takeaway from our discussion, what is it? What's the, in your view, the most compelling evidence? Well, in most of these cases, what I usually do is I look at what they claim happened and I analyze. I think the most compelling evidence in any of these cases is the impossibility of their version of events. And in this case, I would say that if you're looking for a suspect, if I was investigating it, uh, the first group I'd look at would be the FBI, because the FBI, we have that letter that they sent him. We know J. Edgar Hoover hated him and uh, was trying to get, you know, uh, blackmail evidence on him and supposedly recording him having sex and everything. He was desperate to try to 
discredit him, but they have that letter out there that basically says, hey, you know there's only one thing for you to do. So if I'm starting the investigation, that's who I'm going to look at, and that's basically kind of what happened in the Jowers trial. It was not really the FBI, but it was that kind of racist feeling, that sentiment that supposedly fueled it. But I would look in that direction. I certainly, and James R. Ray, the evidence against him is, is, is so lacking. There was, and, and again, it was so obvious. There was a little bundle, like with the gun and clothing and stuff, that was that was found in the door that he conveniently left in the doorway of the Orlando Hotel, which is you know doesn't even happen in the in the corniest movies. And then he goes and flees to Canada and has uh, you know uses a couple aliases and they, they took a while to, to find him and everything. He comes up with the Raoul story, which is you know it's kind of hard to understand, but. What is the evidence against him? As I said, there was one witness uh, who was, uh, according to his wife, was too drunk at the time and passed out and couldn't have seen anything. And uh, that's the evidence that we had. There was a ballistics evidence at the scene. Life of witnesses saying that um, the, uh, the the shot came from the bushes below, you know, kind of like the grassy knoll in the JFK assassination, and not from the uh, bathroom window of the boarding house. So, and and I would look again. It's in all these cases, you know, why why were there three? three pretty key figures that were there surrounding that they were all un- working for the government, either the owner of the Lorraine Motel, which is where he happened to stay, the the guy who was, you know, for, apparently first on the scene, holding his head in his hand on the um, on the balcony, and his chauffeur. So, uh, you know, th- these are th- these are questions that it should be asked in any real investigation, but they weren't. So you, you ask for one piece of evidence. I mean, you know, it's, it's a little easier in the JFK assassination because you can just look at JFK's wounds and, and, and look at the alleged weapon and so forth, and that's impossible. Here it's a little – it's not quite that uh, cut and dry, but, you know, what is the evidence against James Lorraine, especially when you look at uh, these other assassinations? They all have the same questions, and they, it's, it's always a, a really – convoluted mm-hmm. effort to try to attribute it to a, uh, a lone nut. And in, in the case of James O'Reilly, he just didn't fit, the, he didn't fit the pattern at all. There was no, not only no motivation, I mean, he he may, may have been a racist in the sense that almost everybody maybe in his income level at that time were, you know, racist right. in some way. But there's no evidence he was political at all. And he had never, he was a petty thief. Uh, but he never committed, he never uh, committed an act of violence. I mean, he, he robbed, he was, a, you know, he was a robber. But uh, he never, uh, you know, used a gun or never hurt anybody. So for him to suddenly become a sa- an assassin, you know, you have to you have to come up with an explanation for why somebody would kind of switch Donald, from being. <clears throat> let me let me ask you one last question. We've been talking with Donald Jeffries. You can check out his website, donaldjeffries.net. A lot of folks, excuse me, DonaldJeffries.media, a lot of folks are going to hear this interview and other interviews I've conducted on other uh, assassinations with other people that have been described as conspiracy theorists. And they're saying, well, look, there's clearly a lot of money to be made selling books, saying that the official version isn't true. People don't necessarily rush to have you on radio and on television. And uh, there are not a lot of books to be written saying, yep, everything the government said is correct. Oh. what do you say to naysayers in our audience, Donald, who may say that you may have uh, a vested interest, either in publicity, financial, or a combination, in claiming that there was a conspiracy, in finding a conspiracy, even when there's not? Well, I can take, speaking for myself, I can tell you that if I'm trying to make money from doing this, I haven't done a very good job of it. Uh, most people, most of these books that are, for instance, out of the whole assassination, there's nobody that made it. Writing a book about Mark 
of the gang's assassination. Right? In fact, the only one that did would have been the official story, Gerald Frank, who wrote a book about the Boston Strangler. He wrote a story saying James R. Ray did it. He made money. Uh, in the JFK assassination, the only people that made money were people like Jensen Bugliosi, who was given a huge contract to, to write an incredibly uh, you know, uh, inaccurate book. Uh, reclaiming history, and uh, but Mark Lane made a little money in the '60s with Rush to Judgment. David Lifton, I think, made some money with Best Evans. But most of been you know, thousands of books written about the JFK assassination. None of the others made any more money. My my book, Hidden History, done pretty well for this day and age, but I didn't make very much money on it. So it was, if it was my, if I wanted to make money, to be honest with you, what you would do is I would come out and, or I don't have a big enough name to do it. But if I had a big enough name to do it. I would do like Mark Furman did, if you remember him. He, sure. he, was, he was originally a believer in conspiracy, right. and he made a big flip-flop when he was in the news of the O.J. trial and decided to say Oswald did it. He got a, he got a nice book contract for that. I, if I had a name, that's what I would do. I would say, you know, I was wrong, and I realize now, you know, and I, I would flip-flop. And you could probably get a big contract because the establishment is anxious <laughs> right, to right. push that. I, I get that. Donald, I appreciate the time. Let's chat again soon. Absolutely, Frank. Thanks for having me. Donald Jeffries, if you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to do so. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.